You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Good morning. What a great message. A reminder, middle of who's your one. I hope you're doing well. And uh, I want to just double hit what Dan said. So grateful for everyone who was uh, willing to have their names submitted for the pastor search team. And uh, just to, so that you guys kind of know the process, this is going to take a few weeks for us to walk through. I mean, not only is it the holidays, but, uh, you know, most search pastor search teams in a church are getting together and they, they take time to figure the church out and all of that kind of thing. And then they go out and ask for resumes from who knows where, right? All around the world and uh, all around the country or whatever. And so we intentionally are looking internally. So we are not going to short circuit that process. We're going to take some time to work through what is what our pastor is called to do, what our qualifications. So the team's going to have, before we even start thinking about potential candidates, we're going to be walking through that kind of process as a team because this is a big deal. You know, where, where we go looking for pastors is really kind of irrelevant uh, because at the end of the day, they need to have the same qualifications that Scripture has. So we would really appreciate you guys praying for us as we walk through that. I will be keeping you updated along the way so we're not going to all of a sudden walk in and, you know, two weeks, oh, surprise, here's the guy that we're thinking about, you know. So you guys will know what's going, going on. But uh, do pray with us. It's going to be a few weeks, uh, probably a couple of months, honestly. Uh, at the very least. So uh, anyway, just give you a little update. Well, take your Bible, if you would, and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians 5. We're going to talk this morning about the new life that we have, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He or she is a new creation. The old has passed away and the new has come. What a wonderful passage to focus on when we think about the Lord's Supper. You may have noticed the, the little cups in the, the seats in front of you. And, and as we think about uh, what Jesus' death for us and our salvation means. Romans chapter 1 says, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. That moment when a person receives Jesus as Lord of their life, as Savior and Lord, when they surrender their life to Him and when they admit their, their sins and their pride and, and, and that they've been living under their own authority and casting off God's authority, when they finally yield their heart and realize that Jesus is the Savior, and what He did for them, and they put their full hope and trust in Him, turning away from that. It's the greatest change that they could ever experience in their life. Most of you have experienced that. You've taken that step of faith. And the Bible says is that everything becomes new in your life in that very moment. The old has passed away, and the new has arrived. It has come. Everything else in your life pales in comparison to that. And I want to share with you just four things that the Bible that Paul gives us here that are new for us to kind of relish in, to be excited about and be encouraged about. And I want us to focus in on that particular aspect of it as we celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. So read with me if you would in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 16 through 19, just three verses today or four. The Bible says this, From now on, therefore... We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Paul's saying this, he's like, hey guys, because we understand that, that everybody is dead in their sin and what's going on, we don't look at people the same way. We don't look at them through human eyes. We don't look at them through worldly perspectives. We don't categorize in, uh, that way anymore. We look at people very differently. Verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, done deal, already happened. The new has come. 
It isn't just coming. It has already arrived, he says. All this is from God. Not from us, but it's from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Then he unpacks for us what that ministry is. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses, not accruing those sins, those things that we've done wrong against them. And he has entrusted us and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for the truths of reconciliation, that you did all of that work, that, Father, you made us new creation. You reconciled us. You chose and decided and made it possible so that you could forgive our sins and not hold them against us any longer. Lord, in just a few minutes as we celebrate this supper, we are grateful for that. And I pray that you would encourage us, refresh us, and renew us, and just how wonderful this incredible salvation is. Father, may it be a worshipful time in our hearts. May it motivate us to share that truth, that hope with those around us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the first thing I want you to notice this morning that God gives us new, he shares in, in verse 16, Paul says, I've got a new perspective of people because Jesus has died that we might no longer live for ourselves. That's what he talked about in verse 15. He's been talking about this incredible gospel that he saves us, that by which he saves us. And he says, because of that, we don't look at people the same way. Paul says, as I look at the world around me, I don't view people the way that I used to. He used to view people Jew or Gentile. And he, he used to, to see them very differently. In fact, he even admitted here that he saw Jesus very differently. He used to see Jesus merely through human eyes, through a worldly perspective. And he's like, I don't even look at Jesus that way anymore because I am now a follower of the Lord Jesus. My attitude to the world around me has changed. My perspective has changed. You know, there's a message that our country needs to hear this morning, that if you really want to cure racism... If you really want to cure bipartisan politics, if you really want to solve, you know, we, you think about the different problems that we've had. I mean, the, 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 the protest and all of the, the violence and all of the reaction and, and uh, racism and, and all of that that's gone on. Just racism is absolutely horrid. But we think about that piece. We think about the politics and the for and against and all the mudslinging and then the Republican and Democrat and just all the name calling and all that went on there. And then there's even a little bit of the element kind of below the surface to wear the mask, don't wear the mask. You know, it's all the government and this and I'm not going to do it. And others just like, oh, how could they not do it? What Paul said is, look, I'm done looking at people as either mask wearers or non-mask wearers, anti-vaxxers or non-vaxxers. I'm done looking at Republicans and Democrats. I'm done looking at people through the color of their skin. People are people. People are absolutely just people. And his perspective is, is that all of that has changed for me, guys. He did not care about that whatsoever. He didn't care about the things that we look at and we care about. He didn't care about the age of people. You know, there's even, if you, if you look and kind of pay attention, there's even a, a grumblings by 
uh, by age, you know, millennials and, and, and uh, boomers and all of that that's going on and through the, the, the world around us. Paul's like, folks, let's get over it. As followers of Jesus, we don't categorize people in any of those buckets anymore. That's good news. It means you can be a Jets fan and a Patriots fan, and we're all together, one big happy family, and you got to love each other, right? Bills and Cowboys and Giants and whatever other fans we've got running around here in our church this morning. Dolphins, forgot those, Wayne. So uh, Paul is telling us, he says, guys, the real solution to all of the so social angst and irritations and anger and frustrations against class, against race, against age, against all of it, the educated and non-educated, all of that. It says, all of that is gone. It's gone. The only division that Paul sees is that people are, there's either two kinds of people, people who know and follow Jesus and people that need to know and follow Jesus. People that already have surrendered their life to Jesus Christ that Paul is grateful for, wants to help grow, and the people who haven't, that he in turn is reaching out to and sharing the message of hope that irregardless of a person's background and where they are and what's going on, whether they're similar to us or not, in any way, shape, or form, whether it's color of skin, whether it's uh, lifestyle, whether it's hobbies, whether it's age, whether it's job, none of that. None of that matters whether somebody's in, you know, in management or not, or if they're just, uh, or if they're, you know, blue collar label, labor. All of it, Paul says, is irrelevant. We no longer look at people that way. Folks, as followers of Jesus, we know that the world around us, the only solution to all of those issues is Jesus. He's the only solution whatsoever. Every other possible solution that our government could come up with is nothing but fool's gold. It's sugar water. It's placebo that, you know, the, that we take that does absolutely no good whatsoever. Maybe even worse because it has the promise of doing something good and it actually doesn't. Well, Sean, are you saying that we as Christians shouldn't care about some of those plights of humanity? No, I'm not saying that at all. Absolutely we should. Absolutely. But at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, the only solution to the human heart, because all of these sins are actually sins of the heart. All of these issues are issues of the heart, and only the Lord Jesus changes the heart. Rules and regulations, policies and procedures and guidelines and all of those things out there, even shaming on social media, all of that's on the outside. And it never can touch the heart. Only the Lord Jesus can. So the first new thing that I want us to recognize is when Jesus comes into our life, he gives us a new set of glasses that by which we have a new attitude and a new appreciation and a new respect and a new love for people that we look at people very differently. Second thing I want you to notice what Paul says is that we have a new life. He says in verse 17, therefore, he's building these upon one another. Same topic, but they're all logically interconnected, kind of like Legos, you know, one brick built upon the next. He says, from now on, therefore, we regard, uh, oh, excuse me, verse 17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Paul says, guys, when you are in Jesus Christ, you have a new life. 
The old is gone and the new has arrived. Just like kids will await Christmas morning and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and come, it, it's here. Jesus, Paul is telling us that Jesus has come when we are in Christ, that this whole new has already arrived, that we are a new creation. What that means is, is that God just doesn't remake us. He doesn't just reform us, reshape us, remold in us. He makes us brand new. The idea of a new creation means that God makes us from scratch brand new. This is not like when you and I were kids playing with Play-Doh or clay, right? You know, if you make something nice and, and the, the kid's sister comes and mushes it, then you get all mad and you kind of, you know, start all over again and you fix it, you know, and you recreate it. This is much more than that because, you see, that's using the same lump of clay, the same raw materials. What this is talking about is a brand new creation as in when God spoke this world into existence out of nothing and created this world, that when you... Trust Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. That what God is doing in your world in that moment is not just saving your soul from sin, is not just pronouncing a judgment and a forgiveness over your sin. That God's been invisibly drawing you to Him even when you kind of weren't aware of Him and didn't really get it. And God supernaturally worked in your heart and He made you brand spanking new. You are a new creation in Christ. See, that should encourage us all the, that we are brand new inside of Jesus. See, sometimes as Christians, we get a little discouraged. And especially for new believers, it's normal. Every new follower that I've ever talked with or walked with, somewhere after their salvation, they're like, oh, but I just did something wrong. And how do I know it's real? And they begin getting down. You know, and it's natural. The enemy wants to attack and, and, and wants us to doubt and have all of that. So this message should encourage us that the real litmus test is not how you feel in any given moment. The real litmus test is not how you lived yesterday or not, whether you were in church or yesterday or not, or prayed or read your Bible yesterday or not. All of those things are important things. They're good, healthy things that we should do to grow in our relationship with Christ and stay encouraged and, and increasingly love Him more and more. But the real litmus test is what He says, right? Look at your Bible. It's just whether you're in Christ or not. That's the test. When we're in Christ, we're a new creation. It's Paul's favorite word to describe what it means to be a follower of Jesus, that we're in Christ, that we are in, in Him, that He accepts us and that He's received us. Not just that we've believed in God or have this vague sense of faith out there somewhere, but that He has united Himself to us and brought us into Him in a close relationship with Him, that we are brand new in Jesus Folks, that is exciting to think that God made us new. And the rest of our life is the unpacking, is the growth and the outgrowth of that. Think about, you know, a mighty oak tree, if you will, or a big, huge pine tree. Not, not Some of you might be West, few of you guys, I think, are West Coasters. We don't have the tall redwoods or sequoias here, you know. But, you know, what's a pine tree get? Maybe 150 feet, I don't know, thereabouts. But isn't it phenomenal that that huge living organism has all of the DNA and all that it needs and just this little tiny seed, right? 
And what God does inside of you, He makes you brand new in that seed of that gospel that when you trusted Christ, may even in that moment seem kind of big, but really is kind of small, and the rest of your life is just the outgrowth, the unpacking of all of that new thing that God has done inside of you. And that new life is why some people, when they trust Christ, will experience like, I feel clean. Like their soul, they have a sense that God is, because God looks at them differently. They forget, he's forgiven their sins, and there's a freshness and a newness that's there. That's why some people say, I feel different. I really do. And they begin sensing the Holy Spirit. That's why people will begin acting differently. And those of you that when you trusted Christ in a home that maybe had you know, parents or siblings that were, are not followers of Jesus, they start looking at you, and they're like, you're different. They see it because that's that new seed that God has planted inside of you and made you completely different. It's why we become more sensitive about sin. Before that, our God put inside of each person a conscience, and there's a, a, a limited awareness about right and wrong. That's why everybody feels guilty and good at various things that they do. But when, when God saves us, and we're in Christ, and He puts His Holy Spirit in us, as just as we saw in the kids' video a moment ago. Our sensitivities to what honors and pleases God goes up a ton. It goes up a lot. The, the, the meter gets calibrated much more finely because everything is new inside of us. And it's why we all of a sudden begin to realize, like, I can live my life in this world for God, and everything changes. What the Bible says is that when we're in Christ, we're a brand spanking new creation. The old junk of our life in the past is past. God says that's old history. That's old news. And now for the first time that we can live with freedom, things that we struggled with that we could never get victory in, that God increasingly begins to change more and more to conform us into His image. Yes, we still struggle with some of those things. I know I'm not doubting or denying that but we get to live in victory because He's made something new and He's made us new. And the rest of our life, we experience that more and more. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment, that's the fruit of the new covenant in our life. We get to enjoy that. It should be in some ways a Thanksgiving morning for us and new. God, thank you for that incredible salvation. Third new thing that Jesus does inside of us. Not only does He give us a new attitude, new relationships, if you will, a sense of community and viewing people differently, seeing one another as one regardless of any descriptors that we might have previously had. He makes us brand new, but He also makes our relationship with Him new. We have a new relationship with God Himself. Verse 18, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself. God reconciled us to Him. And He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You see, before our salvation, before we surrender to Christ, we not only have a bad relationship with God, we have no relationship with God. It is non-existent. Our natural mind, our natural heart, that each person is born into this world wants to have its own authority over its life. Doesn't want to submit to anybody else's authority. 
That's why employees struggle with their bosses. That's why citizens struggle with whoever happens to be in office and whoever happens to be king of that day. That's why kids and teenagers struggle to be under their parents' authority. We, we don't like authority. We want to live with our own authority, doing whatever we want, however we want, whenever we want, the way we want to do it. And if for some reason we don't want to do it, then we don't. We want full self-authority over our life. That's the human nature inside of us. And God looks at that and says, I can't stand that. You're rejecting my authority. You're rejecting every authority of everyone around you. And that breaks our relationship with God. We have none. It's, we have this kind of misconception. I think, I think religious people have this misconception the world over. That if we're spiritually minded, and if we pray, and if we believe in God, and if we go to church, that somehow... We make that relationship with God. That what we do makes that relationship. And if we do those things, we're okay, and we've got that relationship with God. But that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what we even just read this morning. The Bible says is that we are separated from God, and we need reconciliation with God, and it's something that God does. This is from God, he says in verse 18. This is not something that we do. This is something that God God does. I want you to, I want to read for you Isaiah 59, just a few verses out of that. We're going to come back here for a second. But let me read these to you. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2. Or, or 59, verse 1 and 2, but I'm going to keep reading after that. But the Bible says this, Behold, which means pay attention, heads up, look alive, be alert. You need to get this because you're not, is what he's telling us. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save. In other words, God is not, he's not weak. He doesn't, his hand's not too short to reach out and save people, to deliver them. Like, that's not the problem. Or his ear too dull that it cannot hear. It's not that God is hard of hearing and can't hear people crying out to him for salvation. That's Isaiah 59.1. Look at verse 2. But, here's the problem he's saying, your iniquities, your sins, your transgressions, the things you've done wrong, you're wanting to have full authority over your own life and not submit to anybody else's authority over you, they've made a separation between you and God, between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. Isaiah the prophet is saying, look guys, the problem with us and God is this. It's not that the problem's not with God. The problem's not that God's in heaven ignoring us. And the problem's not that God can't do anything about it. The problem is in our heart that we each have sinned before Him. That our, the things that we've done wrong and our disobedience and all of that have cut us off and separated us from a holy God. The Bible makes it clear that everybody in this world is born in that state. The people that we're praying for and reaching out to. The reason that who's your one's important because it makes a difference in their lives because the Bible says they not only just have a weak relationship with God, they have no relationship with God. It is totally broken and cut off because of their sin. Now, most people think they're a good person. Most, most, most of us, when we're not good at something, most of us think that we are better than we really are, even at that. Like, we, we just, we want to feel good about ourselves. Does anybody here not want to feel good about yourself? Nobody's going to raise your hand, right? We do. 
And so consequently, we kind of, there's scientists have studied it. There's a special name for it, you know, that we kind of mentally make ourselves feel good and make us think that we're better than what we're not. Our worship team reminds me all the time. I volunteer to sing for them. And they're like, Sean, please don't. You're bad. You don't sing well. Like, you're, you stink. Like, don't. <laughs> right? And I'm like, I think I'm great. You know, I'm wonderful. But we think we're good. So we need to hear what God's perspective of us is. Look at, listen to what the rest of Isaiah 59 says. For your hands, when God looks at our lives, he's like, well, let's just take your hands, for instance. Your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Even to the very little pinky of your finger, you've done things that are wrong. I see those things that you've, you've done things. You've, you've clicked and said things on Facebook that were hurtful and hateful. Your fingers have created social media assassinations of others. You've done things that are wrong. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue mutters wickedness. I don't know about you, but verse 3 or off the bat, I'm guilty as charged on all of those points. I'm, I'm guilty. Verse 4, he says, no one enters suit justly. In other words, nobody goes to court. You know, legally, justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. That's not just the legal courtroom, you know, of New York State or the U.S. Supreme Court. That's talking about the courtroom of public opinion or justifying ourselves, right? We all will kind of twist or bend the truth to our, suit our own needs. And we've all done that to gain our own advantage that we possibly can. We really have not been fully 100% about justice. None of us have been. He goes on, he says in the middle of verse 6, their works are works of iniquity and their deeds of violence are, on their, are in their hands. Their feet run to evil, they're quick, they're swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. And he goes on and on. We could keep going. You see, guys, when we look at ourselves, we're all pretty good. But when God looks at us, he says, guys, this is your life. This is a picture of you. This is the mirror I'm holding up in front of you. And because of that, we're separated from God. And so when we finally admit all of that junk, and what God is all along is just wanting us to admit it. He's not wanting us to fix it. He's not wanting us to, to make it right. We can't. But what he wants us to do is to admit that there's a problem, that we're separated between him, and to trust him to be the one that fixes it, to trust him to be the one that makes it okay. And when we do, we experience full reconciliation with God. We are reconciled back into the good graces of a holy God in heaven who lavishes on us beyond what we deserve. And he does it by exchanging our sin for His Son's righteousness. That's what this word reconcile means. It has the, has the connotation of, of, of changing and exchanging. What God is doing to bring us into place with Him is He's exchanging our sin for the righteousness of His Son that He gives us and puts on our account. He no longer holds against us our sin. That's what we just talked about a minute ago, right? What we just read. He no longer accrues that to our account. But instead, He puts on our account the righteousness of Jesus, who is perfect, 
and our sin gets put on Jesus. And when we trust that act of our Lord's love for us, then we are are reconciled to Him. And God no longer looks at us with anger. Until that time, ladies and gentlemen, God's anger is on, on us. Does God love the world? Sure. Sin His Son Jesus to die for us. But God hates sin. Make no mistake about that. And God looks at us completely different. This new life that we have puts us in a relationship now that we have with the Father. And it's so, it's so crazy that God would do this. You know, if somebody came and knocked on your door today or tomorrow and said, hey, can I pay you $1,000 to clean the trash out of your house and out of your garage and out of your attic? And just, and this is not good stuff, right? You all got good stuff that you think is good stuff. We all do that's really not good stuff, you know, but we think it is. We don't throw it out. I'm not talking about that good stuff. I'm talking about just trash. I'm talking about hot dog wrappers and use napkins and use tissues and just garbage, garbage, right? Could you imagine somebody knocking on our door like, hey, I would pay $1,000 if you would just let me clean your trash. And you probably wouldn't do it because you're like, this is messed up. What's wrong? Or like, are you going to come rob me later? Or are you going to, like, what, what are you doing? You probably wouldn't take it, right? Because it's just absolutely insane. Who would do that? Then the person would be like, well, okay, if that's not money, I'll give you $10,000. What are you, nuts? Got nothing here that's worth anything. Oh, I know. I just want to take all the trash from you so you can have a clean life. That's what Jesus did for us, is that he came and paid a million dollars, a billion dollars, if it were, paid in his own blood just so he could clean the garbage out of our life and forgive us. And God doesn't get anything out of this deal. Well, wait a minute, I thought God loves us and now we have a relationship with him and God gets something out of it. Yeah, but be careful. God's an infinite God and God did not need us, folks. God, God is not a narcissist in heaven who's like, hey, I need a fan club. I need people to follow me. He's not like a Hollywood celebrity. God was perfectly content from all of eternity past, all by himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He needs none of us. He just out of his own graciousness and love made us and wants to save us and takes all of our garbage so that he can give us all of his righteousness. That's insane. That's what we celebrate this morning with the Lord's Supper. That's what we offer when we're talking to our friends and our family and people on the street and little conversations of dads in the park is that God wants to give us a new life with Him. He wants to give us, remove all of that junk, take all of that garbage, and to give us nothing but His goodness. Fourth new thing that God gives us, and this one flows out of that new relationship that we have with God in heaven, is He gives us a new ministry. All of this is from God, verse 18, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave it to us, not as going to, but he gave us. You see, when God reconciles a person out of sin, he at the same time hands them a responsibility, a privilege to join with him in being an agent of reconciliation for other people. Oftentimes people say, well, I just don't know what God wants me to do in life and ministry. Well, here's one right here. You don't need a special calling for it. You don't need to get an email from God. You don't need a warm fuzzy in your heart and soul. God right here says, if you're reconciled to him as a child of his, you have a ministry of reconciliation that God has given to you, belongs to you. 
right here. All of us. He gives us a brand new ministry that in turn, He wants to use us in the world around us to help others experience that same incredible relationship and that newness. He doesn't want us to keep it to ourselves. He wants us to be like that little boy, the five loaves and two fish, right? You know, just offered them who God, Jesus in turn multiplied. He wants to take that same free gift that He put in our life and to in turn multiply it in the lives of others. It's a, it's a message of reconciliation. It's a message that God wants to, to deliver people from sins, that God wants to love them, that yes, there's a bad part. You got to come to terms with you not being okay. But there's a good part that God will make it okay and He'll forgive you and reconcile you to Himself. And this ministry of reconciliation is what our Hoosier One is all about. If you can do just simply three things, prayer, care, and share, you will faithfully be living this out. John, can it really be that simple? It really can. Pray for the people around you. Pray for... Don't just pray for your immediate family. Pray for the UPS driver that comes to your house every day. Pray for the, your mail carrier. Pray for the person you see at the store. Pray for your mechanic. Pray for the vendors that come into your workplace. Pray for people that you don't even just you know, know intimately and closely. And what I'll tell you a secret. What's going to happen is you pray for those individuals, you'll actually start loving and caring about them. You see, prayer is not so much moving heaven, it's more moving us to get in line with what God is doing. Think about it this way. If you, if you keep going online to look at something, you're eventually going to want that, and you're going to want to buy it, right? The best way to just walk away from something is to walk away. So if you don't want to care about people, then don't ever pray about them. Don't ever pray for them. Don't ever think about them. Don't pray about them. Don't spend any time. But if you start praying about people... You can't help but start having a heart for them. You can't help but start noticing little things. And then you start caring. And when you start caring in your heart, God's going to give you some avenues to demonstrate that in some very simple, appropriate ways. And if you do that, there's probably a good chance that you might actually get an opportunity to share with them in a way that's appropriate. Let me encourage you two things. I'm going to close with this before we move into our Lord's Supper. One thing is if you have, if you're, who's your one is somebody that's really close to you that you've known most of your life, but have never been able to share the gospel with and just, you know, kind of one of those things, keep praying for them and caring and sharing with them. But I want to encourage you to add some other names to your list, some names of people that are maybe a little bit more distant to you. See, those close ones, what, what, what you pick there is like, it's like you've been fishing in the same puddle. I'm giving a fishing analogy. Apparently, I'm famous for those, so I don't know. This is a fisher of men thing. I don't, it's like too simple. I can't do, can't not do it. But it's almost like you've been dangling the bait in front of that same fish for the last 20 years, and the fish, a thousand times over, has told you it is not interested. So you can keep hitting your head against that wall and only fishing for that fish, or you can keep fishing for that fish, and if you're an ice fisherman, just maybe set a tip up out there and let it just keep doing its thing. And you come over here, and you start dangling some of that bait in front of some other people. And before you know it, you're going to start seeing God work in other people's lives. Every, every fish is not going to be interested. Every person isn't going to be. I wish you weren't so. It breaks my heart. It genuinely does. But it's what the Bible says over and over. And we could take time to talk about that. But I want to encourage you to, in your, who you're reaching out to, is God wants to use you not just in the people that you know, that you care the most about, those are actually harder because your relationship is mixed in with them. 
and you know that regardless of the outcome, you've got to love them and get along and all of that. And it just, it's hard. It gets funky. Everybody know that? It's hard to share and to reach your own family. It's hardest. So pick some others around you, all right? Second piece of advice, lower your expectation. No little league coach goes to a kid the first day of practice and said, I'm expecting you to hit a home run your first game, son. No, nobody in their right mind would do that. No, but no coach in the right mind would go to, to anybody and say, you've got to hit a home run today. Now, maybe in the majors, if you're getting paid a million dollars and the game's on the line, it's like, look, we need to get a home run. Maybe you can do that. I don't know. If you've got you know, an average of 350 or whatever as a hitter, but, but nobody's going to put that expectation on a little kid. What's a, what's a coach do for a kid? Hey, here's how you swing a bat. Here's how you hold it. Here's how you stand. Keep your eye on it and swing through. And just focus on those basic little things. Because the coach knows if they start doing that, then they'll start getting some hits. And when they start swinging the bat well and start looking at it, then they get some singles. They start getting on base. And everybody in baseball knows, just get on base. You know, forget the home run thing. Just get on base. You get on base enough, we start winning games. Lower your expectation when it comes to sharing the gospel. I think a mistake that Christians often make is we act like we got to win the World Series with that person. Like i got to go and sit down and have a conversation with them. i got to lay all of this stuff out, and they need to trust all of this. And we make it so big. When reality is, is we just need to be like swinging the bat well. Just strike up a conversation with somebody in the park and throw something out there. Throw, ask a question. Somehow just have a conversation as a person. So there might be some people in your life that you just can have that kind of conversation with just simply. We're going to talk a little bit more about that next week because it's all about how we're ambassadors for Christ. But lower your expectation of what you do expecting God to be God to do what He does, and He does all the heavy lifting. So you just go out and play the game well, and that's how God will begin to use you. So I'm going to close us with this. We celebrate the supper, and our Lord reminding of what our Lord did for us. He's done four incredibly new things in us. He gives us a new perspective of people, which brings us into community and begins to heal relationships, and we look at people differently. As Christians, we should not fall back into that old junk. We should change that. There is no room for racism or prejudice in any shape or form. Anybody that's even just different from us, see them as people that God loves, and the only issue is do they know Jesus or not, and we should invest in them somehow. Second thing, celebrate the new life that God has given in you, made you brand new. Think about that this morning. Third thing, think about the new relationship that what God has done for you. Have either gratitude or thanksgiving in your heart, act of worship. And then fourth, be motivated to share that with somebody around you, that God has given you this incredible ministry. It's like he's given us a car. He just wants us to simply go in and turn it on, start using it, begin sharing that and living that out before other people. So as we celebrate this this morning, which of those things did you need to hear? Which of those do you need to focus in on and worship before God today? What's God speaking to your heart? I'm going to close this in prayer. And when, we, when I do, when, when I say amen, we're going to celebrate this and remember together. But I'm going to give you a couple of, just a little bit of time in your own heart between you and God to think about those things and to be reminded of what Jesus did for you when he died on that cross and he made everything new in your life. Maybe you've been living not so much the newness. 
Maybe this is a good reminder for you to now to say, God, forgive me. You clean me. Refresh that salvation. You don't need to, you don't need to be saved again, but maybe you're feeling challenged for that. I don't know. But whatever God is dealing with, respond to Him this morning, would you? Father, I'm grateful for the new salvation that we have in the Lord Jesus. Grateful for His love, for His care. Thank You for the newness. That all things truly are made new. Father, forgive us when we whine and complain, get fearful, get dejected, complacent. Lord, thank You that through little things like this that we can remember, we are made new. He can live in victory. Oh, we'll still struggle with sin. Over time, Father, you grow us more and more. Thank you for that. Thank you that we have that incredible ministry toward others around us, even people who are different from us. Help us to just simply care, to reach out, to see people the way that you see them, I pray, Father. Lord, we, we lift this time to you. Thank you that we can worship you. Have such a tangible reminder of what it cost our Lord Jesus on the cross to remove the garbage out of our life. Thank you for his sacrifice. In Jesus' name we Well, if you haven't gotten your cup already, now is the time to do that. I'll give you a, a minute to do that and to consider a little bit. At home, you might be running to the fridge quickly to get your grape juice. And as a reminder, if you are at home uh, because of COVID, we do this every first Sunday of the month. So have a little bit of it handy and have it ready if you'd like to share with us. In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this when he's writing to the Corinthians, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant, the new, the new agreement. I love the, the theme of the newness, that Jesus came and did something new in our life and gave us that new relationship. It's what we've been talking about this whole time. It's the new covenant that only comes in my blood, is what he's saying to us. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. That verse 26 says to us this. It says, as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, it doesn't say as often as you do that, it saves you from your sins. It says, as often as you do it, it's a proclamation. You're just proclaiming what belongs to you, that you're my child, that you're saved, and you're doing it till Jesus comes. 
See, as we celebrate this supper, what we just did this morning is it's a proclamation of what we believe. It's not what gives us faith, and our faith isn't in that. It's simply us uttering to one another, to the world, and to our Lord that we're a follower of Him. We proclaim it until Jesus comes. Well, guys, I hope that you have a blessed week. I know COVID is heating up a bit. We have a couple families in our church that are having a quarantine right now because they've had exposure and uh, praying for that and for you. And uh, we'll walk through the future together. God will be gracious. Whatever that means and whatever is going on in your life, God will be gracious to us. So let's look to Him in the process. Have a great and blessed week. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.